What up, this is your boy DJ EFN. You might know me as a drink champ, but first and foremost, I'm a proud father. I linked up with two of my other dad homies, Manny Digital and KGB, to start the Fatherhoods podcast. Each week, we bring you insider hip-hop stories, parenting, and advice and therapy. The saying is true, it takes a village, and we humorously serve as each other's trusted counsel in figuring out how not to screw up being a good dad. The Fatherhood Podcast. Beats, rhymes, and diapers. All right, right, man. Today's guest is a legendary MC, legendary music exec, a power mover and a shaker who's been there and done it all. We could talk about the legendary group Third Bass. We could talk about Nas. We could talk about the White Rapper Show and so much more. But what's truly important here on this podcast is fatherhood. Please welcome MC Search to the Fatherhood Podcast. Let's go. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, man. I, uh, I appreciate it. Fatherhood's so important to me that I changed the name of my company from uh, Searchlight to 4MC, 4MC Multimedia, which is the name of my children and name of my wife. So, ah, we did not know this. Okay. Yes. By the way, happy belated. Um, I don't know if you knew. I mean, I don't know if you got the memo, but we share a birthday. Really? Yeah. Not the same age, though, just the same day. No, no, no. I'm way older than you. <laughs> no, you guys are twins. You guys are twins. Yeah, May 6th really? in the house. May 6th in the house. Kid. Search, May 6th, 1967. Close. 80. Thir- just 13 years. That's it. No big deal. <laughs> no, it's great. Congratulations. It's always good to have another guy who celebrates it with sexy guys like George Clooney and Kermit the Frog. There you go. <laughs> so it's always a good bonus. Kermit the Frog. He was, he was created, I believe he was created by Jim Henson on May 6th, 1960-something. I didn't know that, but now that's a, I'm going to have a frog tattooed on my fucking, yeah. the tip of my... <laughs> and, and and just again, fatherhood, you know, being what it is, I don't celebrate my born day because my son was born May 7th. Oh. And I like to say that I don't want to take my son's shine, so I let him celebrate his birthday instead of mine. Now, damn, okay, that's a bar. First, May's, May's an incredible month, man. It is actually my yeah. daughter's May 9th. Yeah, and I'm, I remember. I remember when yeah. your oh, daughter right. was born, because uh, I harassed you about something, and you were like, "Search, I can't talk about this right now. My wife's in labor." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, let's hold off this conversation for another day." Uh, first of all, I didn't even know you were having a baby. Um, Great way of hiding it to us hip hop kids, by the way. Um, and you started late in life. I mean, oh, you really yeah. started late in life. Yeah, that and that was my first. Um, she's three, and I have a son now that's turning two tomorrow. Oh wow! I mean, sorry, talking. turning one. Look at me talking crazy. On the second, he's turning one. I'm dyslexic, so that's okay. No worries, Mazel Tov. That's amazing. Thank you. But I, me. I, you know, my wife went into labor. She took me out to lunch on my birthday, and her water broke on the way to the to lunch so we get to the hospital and you know going through the procedure um, my wife gets the big good birthing room at syosset hospital in long island or should i say long island long island long island and uh we uh start talking waiting for um our midwife who also helped us with the birth of our two previous kids and I mentioned to the nurse that uh, it's going to be really cool that my son and I are going to share a birthday. And she stopped the labor. No, 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 no. Every child deserves their own birthday. 
No, you're not going to have a birth. You're not going to give birth. So we're young. I mean, like I was 27. My wife was a little younger than I was. So we're like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, no, we want our child to have their own, whatever you say, ma'am, you know. Turns out like half the presidents share their birthday with their son as like mad, I like mad people. Yo, you got mad random facts. Yo, dude, it's one of these Jewish things. Like Jewish people just have mad random facts. <laughs> like it's like hip hop history and mad random shit. But the reason I found out later is because like, you know, my son was born on May 7th. Um, and, um, yeah, so I just found out all this weird shit about like, you know, presidents and like all these people who fathers and sons share the same birthday. And now in hindsight, I'm glad he had his own day. Um, because it would really be kind of, you know, weird. Like it would really be taken away, you know, his day because his dad would have his, um, have his birthday. So (laughs) it was cool. But, um, the thing I remember most is that my son had a really tough, uh, when he came out, he was not healthy. Uh, he had sleep apnea and they kept happening to flip him over. Yeah. Yeah. So they had to keep flipping him over to make sure he remembered to breathe. He'd stop breathing. He had really bad jaundice. Um, so I just remember it being a lot of like, you know, a lot of praying to the most high that my son live, you know, and yada, yada. And, uh, so now it's all about him. Like it's all his day. It's all about his day. Um, and, uh, like I said, man, I, I let my son shine on his day, you know what I'm saying? So I celebrate his birthday instead of mine. Um, you clap it up. You got, you got three kids? I do. I do. Um, I lovingly refer to them as I want, I need, and can I have that for my birthday? Uh, that's their names. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, a, you know, I'm a dad who's got, uh, my oldest one is 27, my son just turned 25, and my youngest will be 24 in July. Mm. Okay, so you guys did it pretty back-to-back-ish? Yeah, we definitely did. We, um, my, my wife and I, who have been together since the 80s, uh, together 33 years, you know, we, we didn't exactly make the choice to say, well, are we going to have kids young, or, you know, we're going to wait and have kids like EFN to when we can barely walk or remember their names and have children. <laughs> um, we wanted to hey guys, have... I'm not the oldest here, all right? <laughs> oh, you're, you're the top two. I just have a white beard. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, you know, there's two ways to go about it, which is, you know, one is let the grind establish who you are and what you are and then be in a position where you, know, you have your kids on, on the back nine or you do it early. So by the time you're on the back nine, you're able to kind of, have a and enjoy and experience life and all that stuff. Um, my wife and I had kids early. You know, we just had kids early, and once we found out my wife was pregnant with uh, with our first, we then made the decision that we were going to have kids. You know, kind of early, back to back to back, and um, we stopped at three. I surgically removed myself from the game um, because I wanted to fuck for fun, not for profit, and. Uh, <laughs> Very responsible. I also man. wanted <laughs> very responsible grown man. <laughs> Some grown man decision shit. Um, which is actually a very funny story if you want to hear a vasectomy story on, on the it. dad's podcast. <laughs> yeah. But um the 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 end result was, you know, we we said, look, I'm gonna do my best to make a commitment as a father that I'll be home. 
you know, I'll be home to take them to school, home to, you know, pick them up. And uh, I was very fortunate. I was very blessed to have a career that allowed me for the majority of the time until they went to college that I was, I was around. Um, I was a physical body in their life. I might not have been, you know, present, as present as most fathers could be. I might not have been the most responsible father, but I was there. I was a body. They could hug on me. They could love on me. Um, I was there to hold their hand. I was there to take them to the beach. I was there to like, you know, be, uh, be present. Um, so now on the back end, you know, the relationship with your kids at this point is it's all emotional and it's all, you know, it's all emotional. It's very little physical. The kids just came home for the first time in two years, actually. Wow. Um, and not because of pandemic, just because they're living their lives. You know, my wife, my, my wife, my son works for, you know, a television company. My oldest daughter works for a television company. My youngest daughter has a rock band who's on tour, you know, and uh, I, I laugh because I think all of you have young kids. So you'll appreciate when I say that I have zero dependence on my tax return. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, the, you know, that's like graduation. Also. That's graduation right there. <laughs> Congratulations. I made it. <laughs> you know, um, and I don't get the calls of like, you know, let me own five dollars. Let me I don't get the call like that. You know, um, I ain't got no money for like, you know, put can you Venmo me like fifteen dollars? <laughs> Uh, like I don't have those calls. Like my, kids I feel like that will never end, though. That will still happen, dude. Let me t- no, no, no. <laughs> let me just tell you, I'm gonna keep it a hundred with you. My accountant is my kids' accountant now. That's that's how the success my kids have had. Wow. And my accountant says to me, he goes, "You want to know how much your oldest made?" <laughs> and I said, "Nah, it's not my business." He goes, "Can I just say one word about what your daughter made last year?" I said, yeah. He goes, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you feel after you hear that? Are you proud or are you kind of jealous? Of course, man. Like, okay. I'm crying. Like, I'm in He's my, about I'm to say, then mow me some money. <laughs> yeah. Like, Let me hold $5. Let me hold you this know, mortgage um, payment this month. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what I mean, it's I all about? Surprise you. Yo, I want to surprise your mom with something. Let me hold something. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to worry about them. The beautiful part about this, I don't have to worry about them. You know, I, you know, I don't have the concerns I have as a father today are emotional. Mm. It's about checking in. It's about seeing where they are emotionally. It's about making sure the relationships they have are healthy ones, about making sure where they are in their mind, their body, their spirit, they're in a good place. You know, my son and I have a very special bond. You know, he works with me a lot. I work with him a lot. Um, my daughter, my oldest daughter is, you know, she's so evolved and just in a place where she's got a great life she's got a great boyfriend you know she's in a good zone and my youngest one you know is just you know she's on her artist mission you know making an amazing record getting ready to go on tour like you're talking about a young lady man last year who put out an ep second ep came out she was going to tour the entire year like the entire year was book solid before covid and the thing that was crazy is she was coming to our hometown. She sold out Hard Rock Arena with the opening act. And it was going to happen on my birthday. Oh. And it got canceled. Damn. Oh. I mean, so it's like, so, you know, so, and, and then her new album's coming out, you know, in June. And you know, she's going to get ready to hit the road and do her thing, you know, all over again. You know what I mean? That's so tough. it's like, it's this amazing, 
for a little circle moment with my youngest. Okay. You know? Pom pom squad, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, the, the key difference with her is that she didn't make the same mistakes her dad made. Like she didn't sign a fucked up record deal. Like she didn't, you know, she didn't sign away her recording rights. Like, you know, she, you know, she, she did it right. Like she did everything right. Like, and I can't be more proud of, you know, who she is as an artist and as a woman. Uh, and, I, and how much of that has to do with your guidance? Zero. Really? So Zero. it wasn't her so hearing she, you talking about like, oh, dad, don't tell me the fucking story again about you getting a fucked up record deal. Like that, that didn't have anything to do with it? No, she went to NYU. She went to Tisch School of the Arts. She got her degree in music business and production. She negotiated her own deal. Wow. Like she, she, she hired Richard Grable, who's probably one of the top two, you know, music lawyers in the world. And uh, yeah, man, at the, at the end, she negotiated her own deal. Wow. You know, like, and it was, and, and like she said to us early on, like, mom, dad, I, I want you to be fans. I don't want to be in business with you. Mm. And, you know, and she'll call me about little things. Like the, the best part is like, she'll call me about lyrics. Like we'll have conversations about lyrics. Like, what do I think about this bar or this lyric? And if you listen to a Pom Pom Squad record, the way she breaks her lyrics down, you can tell there's hip hop inflection. But there's also the Smiths, there's also the Cure, there's also mm. Morrissey, there's also the Cult, you know, uh, Nirvana, Courtly Love, Riot Girls, like this, so there's all of that, you know. Um, so there's this great balance of what she does and who she is, right? And, you know, she, she loves and respects where I come from. But I've said that, I think I might even said this to you, EFN, on The Humble, They've never listened to a third bass record. They don't even know what my music sounds like. like. I mean, they've heard Pop Goes the Weasel and Gas right. Face, you know, but they've never listened to like the Cactus album or Derelicts at Dialer. They never even listened to my solo record. They have no idea what my music sounds like. Right. In fact, this is the funny shit. I started a, a new project. I'm putting out a new album for the first time in like 27 years, right? With a new group I put together called the Co-Defendants. And one of the guys in the group that's working with me on the music is the former lead guitarist of the Smiths, Johnny Marr, right? Huge, I mean, dude, when I say my wife is a fan of the Smiths, it's an understatement. Mm -hmm. Like, that's her favorite band of all time. Wow. Like, period. The Smiths are my wife's favorite band of all time. When I'm on the phone with Johnny Marr or when I'm doing a Zoom, she can't even look at the screen because she's in such reverence of who he is. Wow. Like she could like, she it just, so my wife, my whole life thought she just will tell you if she was here, she'd say, search is whack as a rapper. Like, I don't see what people like, like about him. Like my husband's whack. Like, I don't get it. Right. Such so, so a supportive Marr, wife. And Good the fair. first, you know, I mean, hard, like hard body did not like anything I ever did. As an no artist. fucks like given. No, zero. Zero fucks. Like it was more, I was never my moniker. I was Michael. Like she, and yeah. she'll tell everybody like, I don't give a fuck about this search, dude. I right. married Michael Barron and Michael go take out the fucking guard <laughs> outside the house. You know, um, but Johnny Marr said, and I had to record it because you won't watch it. But when he said to me, like talking to me that like he was in such reverence of what I did as an artist and my career and 
not just third base, but followed me in my career, like with Nas and OC and nonfiction and Echo. Then my wife turned to me and she goes, wow, you must, okay, you must really be dope. Damn. And I'm like, yo, honey, go fuck yourself. <laughs> you go, go take yourself. out the trash. Yeah. <laughs> Someone slipped on the couch after that. <laughs> and it was still me. Yeah, of course. That part, it was still yeah. me. Because you were oh, reaching. Yeah, I definitely you, was going to be you. You were reaching. You had to pull back and just own, just own that humility for a second. Honey, yeah, I told you. Okay, keep pushing. <laughs> right, right, right. I got my three three seconds of shine. And then I went back to like you know mowing the lawn and taking out the <laughs> I got hey, I got sir, a question about hey, oh go ahead go ahead Kay. real real quick um so all of us have younger kids now your kids are older tell us a little bit about what that empty nest feeling is like holy okay. shit that's exactly what I was gonna ask oh, really? you okay yeah yeah uh-huh. yeah see that dad that's that dad phonetics hell yeah, yeah. how you think about it. So when my daughter went, my first daughter went to college, um, you saw the bond between my two other ones get really tight. And they had a tight bond anyway, it got really tight. And then, you know, my youngest one and my, my wife have a very special bond, like tighter than our, 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 even me and my wife, just musically and style-wise, and just, they have a, just a great bond. When my son went to college, that, that was kind of, well, two things. So when my son went to college, it was, I lost my man, right? Because he was out the house, but he went to school in Boston. So as a Queens kid, to know that my son is in Boston was especially painful because my son never watched sports with me. Are you, are you a Mets a fan? Of, of course, Mets, I, Jets, and Knicks. Okay, okay. I'm a Jew from Queens. I was born to suffer, B. Mets, Jets, Knicks. Like, I can't I can't be like you fake New Yorkers who can go, oh, the Yankees are hot, so I'm a Yankee fan. No, no, no. I was, I was, born, hot, so I was born in the Bronx. Oh, so you're, yeah. So I was, now that makes sense. But I'm also a suffering Knicks fan, so I feel you. I feel you. Okay, right. We can't, can't, there's something about the Nets. Like, I, and I love those dudes. But this, uh, yeah, no, I can't. I can't fuck with that. But go right. ahead, because now, now, right. now I understand right. the 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 hate, the pain. Yeah, the hate, hate. It's the pain. I don't like to use that word, but it's pain, the pain, pain, and especially pain. And I don't want to pivot to sports because it's not about this. But Bill Belichick fucked the Jets. He sure was did. the coach for one day, took a contract, and then the next day went to the Patriots. And basically, every every person they drafted should have been a draft. That the fucking Jets picked. So, for all intents and purpose, Tom Brady should have been our fucking quarterback. <laughs> so I could have had five fucking chips and fuck the Pats. <laughs> you know what? I need to. I need to leave. I'm getting too emotional. Anyway, but it's like you know what I'm saying. Like it's that's that's the Patriot. You know. Yeah. So anyway, my son and he never watched sports with me. I don't like to use finite terms, but that I can say. Never. Never. Goes to Boston. You know, lands there. Don't tell me. They, Please don't that, tell me what that, I think. Oh, no, I'm, I'm going to go there. <sighs> so all of a sudden, he befriends two guys from Boston. Next thing I know, I get a call from my son. Dad, Brady's a god. Uh, oh! oh! You're never coming home. Oh! You have a lot. Fuck you. 
Yo, go fuck yourself. I never knew Patriot. I never knew. Yeah, Pats. You know that, right? Fuck you, son. Yo, and he hit you with the Boston accent, too? Yo, yo, and my and I can't even do it, but my son did it perfectly. All of a sudden, he's like, he might as well just call them Kennedy Jr. Brady's a god, dad. Yo, fuck you. My wife is like, she runs into the room. What happened? Our son just became a traitor, <laughs> changed the will and the locks. He's gone. So four years, of, and the four years he went to college in Boston, it's the greatest time in Boston sports history. Oh. Celtics win two, Patriots win three, fucking Bruins win two, Red Sox win two. So, of course, every 10 minutes, I'm getting the call. So... The last senior year, it's it's the Atlanta Hawks, Atlanta Falcons, excuse me, Patriots, mm. right? I had to take the game. I couldn't watch the game. By the time I watch the game, the game is at the fourth quarter for the rest of the world, right? And my son calls me. And I said, Dad, I said, Niles, so help me God, don't tell me shit about the game. I'm about to watch it. He goes, all I'm telling you, dad, is you're going to love this. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. You're going to love the game. Shut up. Hang up on him. Watch the game. Halftime, 28-6 Falcons Patriots. Yeah. I'm already dancing in the fucking hallways, butt naked with an Elvis wig. I'm happy as shit. I'm about to watch Brady catch the worst ass whooping of his life, right? My wife calls me from the bedroom. Miles wants to know if you're at halftime or what. <laughs> shut up! <laughs> shut up! Everybody, shut up! He just wants to know if it's... <laughs> shut up! I'm nothing! And I'm just... I'm, I'm begging for the game to, to be over. And then it happens. Then it starts happening. <laughs> Greatest comeback in the history of, of sports. Greatest. I mean, literally, <sighs> Brady and Belichick, as much as I can't stand them, architect one of the greatest comebacks I've ever seen. I mean, it was just surgery. <clears throat> and then you start hearing, you know, the players talking about how they went into halftime already celebrating that they, they, they could just phone it in. They, and the Falcons gave up and, you know, whatever it is. But it goes into overtime. We all know what happens. Mm -hmm. So your son is now a Boston fan. I call fan. my son. I call my oh. son. I call my son. Stay focused, guys. Fatherhood. <laughs> I call my son. And he picks up the phone. And all you hear is, is cheering. He's at a bar somewhere. And he just says, Eric Brady's the GOAT. He's the GOAT. Fuck you. You motherfucker. He's the GOAT, man. Wait, I want to. I want to go. Become our relationship, with my son. But that's hilarious. I'm saying, so that was like, so my son leaving the empty nest, going back because I didn't forget what you were saying. Uh, so that that we had this great kind of camaraderie, and even though it was long distance, and they came home, and when my daughter left to go to 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 college at NYU, and she's the baby, right? She'd be the last that's one. That's when that's when it really hit because it was too. It was like. It was the trifecta, right? So, A, my oldest was now graduating university and she was going on with her life and she was never coming home. 
you know, my son was coming back, you know, summers, you know, so they don't, they aren't really gone, right? But they're back and forth and you can just kind of tell that they're starting to like inch away from the house. Things that they wouldn't, they would typically ask you, they're now asking their friends and other people. Mm. When my daughter went to school in Manhattan um, at NYU, that was really like on that plane ride back home, it's, it's when it really hit. Because I'm from New York, A, my wife and I, you know, we're New Yorkers, Queens kids. She was born to be a New Yorker. Like, you know, when you're, and you'll see this, all, all of you guys, you'll take your kids somewhere that you have a connection to. Could be Puerto Rico, could be Connecticut, it could be Israel, wherever. But you'll see something in your kid. For us, it happened for all of our kids at different points when they were like seven, eight. My son with open spaces. It's just outside of the city. Just You could just see. But when we took our daughter, our youngest, to New York for the first time, she was a New Yorker. It's in her DNA. It's just who she is. And my wife and I knew that that's where she would wind up going. But when she went, it was also the fact that we were saying goodbye to the New York we knew. And it was now all about the New York that she was going to experience. Mm. And we had to accept that for ourselves. We couldn't say, oh, you don't, you don't want to go to Veselka. You want to go to Rock Around the Clock. You don't want to go to Bushwick. You... No, we, we had to let go and accept that she is the New Yorker now in our house. And no matter what we knew about New York, to love her and to let her go is to also allow her experience New York on her, make it her turf. So that was the empty nest experience for us. And the other parts of it are still true. Like you have to reconnect with your wife. You have to, you know, learn about each other all over again because you're not talking about the kids. You're not talking about kids' schedule. You're not talking about parenting. You're not talking, now you're a couple again. It's like when you first started dating, you know? Um, and I don't care. You could, all, all of you could say, well, you know, no, I still have date night. Not the same. It's not the same because now there are no children. There's no worry about the kids and their schedule, the kids and what they need and their needs. And it really becomes, you know, when, when with like EFN and you guys, it's a very physical relationship with younger children. It's hugging and touching and daddy and love me. And I want to be with you and daddy, where are you going? And when you run in the house, it's that big smile when you walk in and the hug. Now it's all intellectual. It's all emotional and intellectual. It's, it's, thinking about who they are in relation to who you were and what advice you would want to give them because you're different from your own parents. We're also way more evolved than our parents were. So it's also, what am I doing differently as a parent today that my father did for me? That's pretty deep. I was, I was thinking it was like a celebration, kind of like when you turn 21 and you're like, Oh, I fucking drink everything. So I'm thinking as soon as my last kid leaves, I'm going to be walking around this house butt ass naked, not giving two fucks. And I'm going to drink that night, that first night. I'm just going to be like, Aah! but. And it could be. Nah, Listen, I don't think so. And, and it could be. I mean, I, I I think the only difference between me and you is I was butt naked with Elvis Wig. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I was walking around butt naked with Elvis Wig. And again, not to get too personal about it, but. There's a difference also between intimacy and 
having to turn up the speakers a little extra loud in the door, making sure the door is locked. Right. And when nobody's in the house. Oh, the no whole no bar. Wow, for the night. <laughs> you don't even give a fuck it's about the neighbors. For the night. Yeah, no, nah, you know, and nah, not fuck the neighbors. You right. yo, you want the neighbors to battle you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, again, not trying to get too personal, but it's like, you know, where where in this house can we be? You know. Right. You be picking spots. Oh, wait. Right. That one's untouched. Yeah. Let's just figure that one out. <laughs> You're rekindling everything. Yeah, and it's really I remember and, and I would suggest this to all of you guys, even if you don't think you need it, for me and my wife, marriage counseling was really important because we needed someone to kind of help us and guide us in how do we reconnect? Oh. Because there's natural things you do. Right. There's things that you can just, but there's things that just become foreign. Because, you know, and I can only speak for myself, you know, me and my wife have been together since we were kids. I mean, fucking kids, like kids, kids. Um, and now we're not kids, <laughs> fucking grownups. And who we've become and what we are has changed drastically. I'm not the guy she met 33 years ago. Shit, I don't even know who I am. You know what I'm saying? I'm still kind of figuring out who the most authentic version of myself is. You know, she is definitely not the same person. So you're reconnecting on that level and, and you're experiencing things completely different. Well, shit, congrats for surviving it and getting to this point. Thank you. Yeah, and not many of us know anybody that's had that kind of a long-lasting relationship. Yeah. At least I don't. And let me tell you something, it's work. It's work. I mean, if it was me, if it was up to me, you know, I would have been divorced 10 times already, you know. But I also think about it this way, too, and um, just something to consider for you guys. You know, I'm not really sure who I would be if it wasn't for her and my children. Right. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure if I would have the same ide identity, internal identity. And I know I wouldn't have the same integrity. Mm. It just would be different. You know, um, I have very much a hustler's mentality because I didn't know better. Um, and uh, it's taken a lot of courage from my wife's perspective, not mine, it's taking a lot of courage for her to say, yeah, you don't want to do that. You know, um, because I think all of us as men, you know, our go-to is, what do you know? You don't know shit. Right. You don't know about business. You don't know about this and that. But one thing I think I can, I love my wife for, and I adore her, is that she can break a motherfucker down in five minutes. I, I've never seen somebody with such a unique way of characterizing a human being just by meeting them. You spoke about this on Drink Champs. Yep. I mean, like, yo, my wife in five minutes, if I say, you know, I'd really like to do business. With... No. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times I said, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. And I got fucked. Ah. Fucked. Lost and she, and she'll money. Let, she'll let you go through it, too. She'll like, look, this is what I think. But, yo, go fuck yourself if that's what you want to do. Yeah, and then she'll double down saying, yeah, not only did I tell you so, but you better bring me that fucking money back. <laughs> How are you getting that money back? Because hmm. you just burned that fucking money. How are hmm. you getting that money back? So now it's even worse because now I'm like, you're right and fuck you and, and you're right and fuck you twice. Because <laughs> it's house money, right? You know, you're right. playing with house money. Right. Regardless if I earned it, 
if I go against the will of my partner, because ultimately that's what it is, and, and fast forward, which is why I changed the name of the company, well, I got to bring that money back. Like, you know, you got to figure out how, how do you make that right? If you get, if somebody steals from you, right? How do you make that right? Big facts. Um, I want to go back a little bit further when, when you have uh, your first child. Was it was your daughter? Was your uh-huh. first? Yeah. Uh-huh. One of your daughters. What, what point of this in your career, like what's the year, what's going on, what, what are you working on at that time to get us to understand like where you were at in life? Oh, yeah. No, it's a great question. So my oldest daughter was born in, uh, in April of 1994. I had just put out Illmatic uh, and was about to put out Word Life. I was uh, working at Wild Pitch at the time. Um, in fact, if you look at the Word Life album cover in the bottom left of that collage that uh, Danny Clinch did such a great job of, there's this light peering through a window of a baby in a bassinet, and that's my daughter. Yeah. Um, so um, my, I, I remember at that time when my wife had just given birth to our daughter, um, I was in a transition period. Um, I just put out my solo album. It did great. No, sorry. Let me rephrase. It did okay. It didn't do great. <clears throat> Even though we had two number one singles and all of that, and we did about 400,000 albums, it certainly was not the success that we had with Third Base. I was offered uh, a lot of money to go back and do a Third Base album, which I declined. Um, and I remember my wife and I sitting on the floor of our home that I just bought in Long Island, Long Island. And, yeah, get it uh, right, Search. Yeah, sorry, Long Island <laughs> with a stack of fucking bills on the fucking floor. My wife is fucking sitting there. She's fucking looking at me like, you know, <laughs> and a uh, stack of bills. And, um, you know, no shows coming in. You know, obviously I wasn't, uh, no, everybody wanted a third base show. Nobody was looking for an MC Search show at the moment. Uh, and she said, you know, what are we going to do? You know, and I said, you know what, whatever the most high has planned for us, it, it'll, it'll manifest itself. And literally no, no cap. The next day I get a call from my attorney that, uh, the president of wild pitch wants to meet with me and, and talk to me about a job. And, uh, and mind you, I was not prepared to take the job, but I was certainly going to front like I was. Hmm. And, uh, and then within a week I had a job, you know, six figure job running wild pitch. So I brought OC with me and uh, started working on um, word life, which was untitled at the time. There was a large professor record that was, you know, in production. There was a third eye record that was in production. There was a group on in San Francisco called the cool. They were working on an album uh, cool Keith was signed to the label. Like I was like really excited about walking in there and, you know, working on music. I brought in DJ Eclipse. Uh, he had a background in retail because he did uh, retail in, in Columbia, South Carolina at a company called Sounds Familiar as their buyer. I brought him in um, and he was my daughter's godfather. So I was like, oh, I could trust him. Um, started to ramp up, you know, the team hired uh, Kevin Weeks, may he rest in peace to do radio promotion, like just surrounded myself with people that I knew that I, you know, uh, that I loved. And uh, 
just, you know, just balance being home with my daughter and just being in the studio, making music. And, uh, and, and that's really what my life was. And that's where I was at. Um, you know, and just becoming, you know, um, a father within hip hop was, it was just so much fun. Like I remember my daughter was two years old and, uh, OC was performing at Rocksteady Park. He was doing Time's Up. So of course, you know, I got my daughter on the stage and she's bopping cause she's heard the record a million times. Um, and I had her all dipped, you know, Jordans and Jordans, you know, and polo dress and all shit, you know, and hair pulled back, looking super cute. Uh, one of my personal other favorites was um, I was really close with Fuji's, really, really close. Their attorney and my attorney were were the same. Lauren just loved, she took such a liking to my daughter. Um, so they were doing Nassau's Coliseum. And my daughter, since she was two years old, would sing Fuji La. Ooh, la la la, like she would just sing it in the car all the time. And uh, we were on the side of the stage at Nassau Coliseum. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, my wife is on one side of me, I'm on the other side, my daughter's in the middle. And uh, Lauren's security is like right in front of us, maybe about you know four or five feet. And uh, Fuji La comes on and all of this in it. I went to turn to say something to somebody, my wife turned the other way and Mia, I'm um, sorry, not Mia. My my young, oldest is gone. <laughs> she's yeah. gone. and we're freaking out. Like we're freaking out. We're sad. She's gone. We look, and she walked to Lauren. Oh. oh shit! So Lauren grabs her hand and takes it to the front of the stage, and says, "Oh, oh, this is Search's daughter. Everybody, she knows the words to Fuji La. She's going to sing it with us." And then you hear my daughter, ooh, la, la, and the whole crowd goes ape shit, right? Like, it's a really cute moment. That's dope. Um, yeah, so, like, you know, those were the kind of, that's where I was um, when uh, when my first was born. But did how did you feel about, because it's something that we talk about a lot here on Fatherhoods is trying to find the balance, the, especially for, for those of us that, you know, are in the creative space um, working in this type of industry trying to get that mindset to be able to be creative, to be able to work, but at the same token, be, you know, same side, be, be present, be there with your family. And it's sometimes it seems difficult to disconnect from the family and be creative or work um, and vice versa. So how did you at that? Because you were, you were young, you were a lot of exciting things were going on. You know, you, you kind of pivoted into, into being an executive. Like how did you find, the mindset to to tackle those things and be successful doing those things and at the same time be a present father. I got to be honest with you. I don't, I don't think I did. I think, um, I don't think I had the presence of mind to pivot. And I, and I know I didn't have the presence of mind to be selfless enough to say, you know, I need to be present at this moment, at that moment. I think for me, uh, what was my MO was continue to do what I do to put food on the table. Mm -hmm. And if there's any complaining, remind them who's putting the food on the table. Um, and I wasn't pleasant about it. I was just very, 
you know, matter of fact about it. Um, Unapologetic. Yeah, definitely. I, for a second there, I was going to say no, but yeah, I was not on, I was definitely unapologetic about what I needed to do and, and who I was and, and what my responsibilities were um, and whatever that took, you know, and uh, you know, um, for me, being creative was always something that was uh, a natural part of what I even continue to do. So I don't think that ever got shut off. Um, there were times where I, like I said, I was a body, but I wasn't present. Because let's say I was watching a, you know, a Knicks a game. With our, not even a Knicks game. No, I was talking about maybe a movie with the, oh. with my daughter. Right. I would be on my Skytel two page two way pager, like right. you know returning a call or, you know, making a call or figuring out. You were working. Yeah. Right. Um, But she was leaning on me. So I was there. Right. So there are times when I thought that was enough. And I learned from speaking with my oldest later on that, no, that wasn't enough. Mm. Um, And also the things that I learned about myself from hearing it from my kids was not only was it enough, but it was unacceptable. Mm. Um, and it caused a significant lack of trust and it's caused a significant disdain uh, between my children and me for the way I handled things, certain things. So that in rebuilding that response, that relationship with my kids now later on is also a big part of, you know, of what I aim to do. Um, so to answer your question, brother, like, I don't think I did it well at all. Um, I think I did it better than some of my contemporaries. Um, but I don't think I did it well at all. I think I kind of had one foot in and one foot out. Um, you know, I see people the way they did things. Now I can, you know, well, not even did things in terms of retrospect. There are people that don't know their, their kids and learn to, to, you know. But then I see people like Mark Echo, who maybe balanced better than any man I've ever met in my life, um, who has an amazing son, who's intelligent, intelligent, creative, amazing family, been married almost as long as I have, has a very private life, and saw what, what whomever or whoever did and pivoted and made other choices. And then you have, you know, other people that didn't make it, you know. Um, so I don't know if I made the best decisions. I did the, I made the decisions that I felt like I made in the moment. Um, and, uh, and whatever success I had and whatever failures I had, I, I had. And now today I, I kind of learned from them. What, what do you think you would have, what advice would you have given yourself? If, if like you can go back yeah and say, I, you, know, you know it's do funny this and do that and you're still going to be able to be successful but this is what you need to do to be a better parent yeah i think if i had to give my younger self or you know even share this advice with you guys um or other yeah men, we're asking for a friend even, yeah. <laughs> i i would i would strongly suggest that you think about how this is going to look in 20 years when your kids bring this up to you. 
Right. Even if you don't think they're going to remember, they will. Um, I'll tell you a story I've never shared with anybody, but because it's EFN, I'm like, well, fuck it. He won't remember. Um, <laughs> I, uh, he's old. He's, you know, he's got dementia. Oh, oh shit. Oh, my bad. Did I let that out in public? I'm sorry. Drunk sorry, facts. Drunk facts. Fact. Anyway, fact though. So um, I, uh, I took my kids on a Disney cruise. Uh, very first time, you know, they were all so excited, you know, Disney cruise, big deal, the whole thing. And I'm getting on the ship. And as I'm getting on the ship, I'm being inundated with not only calls, but guilt. Like, I can't believe I'm, you know, I'm doing, I think I was doing a radio promo at the time. Uh, and I'm, I'm just inundated with this amazing amount of guilt that I'm going out I'm not going to have a phone. I'm not going to have access to people for two weeks. You know, I got all these records that I'm working at the time. I mean, geez, I mean, 80% of every record coming out, we were working. I just, and I think I lied to my wife and I said, yeah, I'll be able to shut it off. And I, and I just didn't handle it properly. I didn't call my clients. I, you know, I just didn't handle it properly. And the kids are all excited and yada, yada, yada. And I'm just in my feelings. I'm like, this is a this is a mistake. I should not be here. That's just yada. And that just became rage. It's just my feelings, instead of being honest with my wife, just became rage. And the kids were making a lot of noise and they were bopping. They were so excited. And I'm on the phone, yada, yada, yada. And mind you, so you're in these rooms and the Disney rooms are really pretty, but you know, a lot of the stuff in the room is very heavy because if the you know, boat swings left and right. You don't want a, you know, a coffee table, like, you know, hitting. And I'll, I'll never forget this. My three kids were sitting there laughing. They were on their bunk beds laughing and I'm trying to get on the phone. And I finally, I slammed the phone down. And I said, don't you fucking kids understand the fuck I have to do to get you on this fucking boat? Like, do you understand? I'm on the fucking phone, you're fucking... And Chantel's trying to have me calm down. And I tell her, you know, say something disrespectful to her. And I flipped the coffee table. And this thing was not light. I mean, I flipped it. And my oldest daughter, she looked like she was scared for her life. I'll never forget the look she gave me. She looked like she was scared for her life. And instead of me catching myself, I doubled down. And I started pointing at him. And I was like, I and I said some things I don't even recall, but I just so angry, blacked out in anger. Um, my daughter never forgot that. And when I made amends to my daughter, some years later, she brought it up. Not only she brought it up, but she said that she was afraid to go on any trips with us ever again moving forward. Mm -hmm. because she was afraid wow. that I would act like that. Um, so if I have to give you guys any advice, think about how your children are gonna look at you in 20 years before you'd say or do anything. Because if I could take that moment back, you know, I had a mentor say he can remember all the times he told his kids he couldn't get to a play or couldn't get to a show or couldn't get to a ballet recital because he had a meeting, but he can never remember what that meeting was. Mm. Mm. I don't know who the yeah. fuck I was on the phone with. I have no idea what label I was on the phone with, what record I was working, what DJ I was, fuck them. I just remember the fear in my daughter's eyes. And now she reminds me 
of the fear that I created because of that moment and how, how I took, no matter how much fun we still had on that trip and yada, yada, that's the impact that I left. That's what she remembers. Yeah. So that would be my, that, if I, if I had to kind of give you any advice, you guys, for young kids, think about that. This, this industry is not worth uh, anything if it leaves a negative lasting energy or an impact on your children. No job is. Construction, sales, paving, nothing. No, nothing in this world is worth a negative impact on your children. I guess we'd have to think about, you know, the financial side of it, though, because let's say someone's listening right now and they're like, you guys are talking about it, that nothing's worth it, but then all I have is that construction job. And if I don't, you know, go to work and and I come home dead tired, I can't put food on the table. I can't pay the mortgage um, for the home. I can't do this. I can't do that. And sometimes I don't, I get at my, my wits end when, when my family doesn't understand it because this is all I, we have, you know, to, to keep the lights on. Yeah. And, but just, you know, yeah, but just, just be aware that even if you're at your wits end, just be aware that the cost of that could be your daughter telling you 20 years from now, I remember you when I just wanted to lay on your chest and tell you, I love you, dad, I'm glad you're home, that you brushed me off because you were too tired. It's not about the job and the responsibility, brother. It's not about that. It's about the lasting emotional effect you leave on your children when you're too tired to focus on the things that are truly important. And the things that are truly important about parenthood, right, is being present. Mm -hmm. Right. Not just being present in the physical, but there's, you know, there's four components. You know, I've, I've been told all the time there's four components in fatherhood. Right. There's the emotional, the spiritual, the physical and the professional. And if these three things, the first three things are not in line all the time, emotional, spiritual and physical. So love your children. Tell them how thankful you have them. Hug them, kiss them. This don't mean shit because right. they print billions of dollars every day. You're going to get your share. If you work hard enough, you'll get your share. Everybody does. Think of somebody like right now. Think of someone who didn't work, who didn't work as hard, who got fucking paid. And right. nobody comes, like literally no one comes to mind. And not that I'm trying to fucking use this as a way to give EFN flowers, but I know because it's dementia, he won't remember this tomorrow. <laughs> but EFN fucking talked about how big the podcast space was going to be 12 years ago. 12 years ago, he fucking busted his ass for 12 fucking years to make this space for himself. I, so great. So he worked as professional. But if the emotional, the spiritual, and, and, and the physical are not there for your children, this don't mean shit. The professional Absolutely. don't mean shit. So, yeah, have work that job. Be a mailman. Be a construction guy. You know, fucking cut grass. Be a salesman. Be a CEO. But, yo, have these other things in line all the time because your children are watching you all the time. All right. What what man, what's the what's the quote that I said that I want to make a shirt of for us? 
I don't know, I bro. Said, you uh, say so many good quotes. I, I can't no, no, no. No, but it goes in line with what we're talking about. I said, um, I'm a full-time father, part-time everything else. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. and that's that, a great yeah. one. You know, no, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm don't a jack that search. part-time professional. Don't yeah. jack it, search. I saw you. Your eyebrow First just went all, like Bing. I don't I don't I don't steal I don't steal shit. I'm an original down to the fucking bone bristle. <laughs> yeah. No, but he gets the shirt. We're gonna give him a shirt. Yeah, if term I mean, won't listen, give him a I shirt, love, we give him a shirt. Yeah, no, let me tell you something, but that's a dope ass shirt. I'm a full time father, part time professional is a fucking dope ass shirt. Oh, I, I see like what it. you did. You remixed it already. God yeah, damn nah, it. that's still oh. I'm crazy hood production. <laughs> <remixed too. laughs> You know, but th- but that's really the f- that's really the fact. Like, you know, if you work too hard, you know, you're not there for your children. I, I love that you shared that because when you were talking about the sh- the your your moment on the ship that impacted your daughter, I've grown a lot since I had my kids. And early, I still I still have my moments now, but so infrequently. And I saw the same in my kids one time, and it broke me. Like after I came to, because for me it was also like a blackout moment. When I came to and I realized what just happened, I was like, I can't do that shit again. Like it was, it was, and and forever after that, it was every moment I had an opportunity to for you know ask for forgiveness in a relevant setting where it made sense why I was asking for forgiveness. Like I took the opportunity because I don't know how many times. I'm probably going to have to for, ask for forgiveness forever because of how yeah. traumatic it might have been. I don't know yet. Yeah, for me, I don't ask for forgiveness anymore. For me, it's about how do I change my behavior and tell my children yeah. how what I'm going to do is a catalyst for me changing my behavior. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I heard this a lot in recovery and I, I hear it all the time in my rooms. You say sorry enough, people just say, yeah, you're a sorry motherfucker. You're just a sorry motherfucker. You're always going to be sorry. But if you don't change the behavior, if you don't identify what needs to be changed, then you're just going to continue to be a sorry motherfucker, opposed to saying, you know what, these are the things I identify the way I do wrong. These are the things that I realize that are consistently bad in the way I act and the way I behave. But these are the things that I'm doing in the present to change that. Like for me, I, and I can share this you know, with y'all. Um, I have a rage issue. I mean, I have a blackout rage issue. It's, it's, it is bad. Um, and if it gets to the point where it boils over, you know, I can't, I can't keep a gun in the house. Um, so for me, my amends, not only to my children, but to myself is how do I work on not allowing myself to get to that level? Because your children can can tweak that real simple on on something silly, right? But they can push that to that moment. And there's been about five or six times where I got to that moment where I was like in full blackout rage mode where I had to walk out of the house or I was going to like do something I was going to regret. And for me, the work that I do every day is how do I work on that? How do what what is first of all, what's beneath it? Why do I get to that place? What are the what are the reasons that I get to such a place? Uh, and what are the steps that I can take to remove that from my character? That's a character defect I don't want to keep around me anymore. Um, so how do I handle that? Like when those things are triggered, how do I handle those things? Um, 
And there's a lot of work that I do on that. There's a lot of like trauma therapy that I do on that. And there's a, a lot of like personal therapy, but the residual effect on that is my kids being concerned about that, right? So there's a reassurance that I'm working on it. Even when they don't ask, you know, I, I share with them what my growth is. Because like I said, my relationship with my children, now that they're all adults or about to be full adults, is it's 100% emotional. It's 100% emotional with my kids. It's, it's all about EQ, not about IQ. You know, it's, it's very little physical because uh, there's just distance. So it's all about, you know, assuring them that this is the work that I continue to do on myself so that we can have a better relationship. Because you can't have a real open, open and honest relationship with someone who you're afraid to talk to because they're going to fucking spaz out, right. right? Especially if it's your kids. So, you know, for me, it's always been about, all right, how do I manage that, right? And how do I assure my children that I'm continuously working on that so it's not a part of our relationship and our parent and, and, and father-daughter, father-son dynamic? Beautifully said. Yo, Search, man, thank you for joining us and being so open and sharing. Yeah, I know we man. got a we lot of We have to do jewels. part two with you, by the way, because... Hey, listen, like- I, I will do part 10. If it helps another father be a, a the best version of himself, I'll fucking do 10 of these. Like, I, you know, I, I love being a father. Um, I It's the best decision I, I think I could have made. Um, and I will share that, you know, and I said this, you know, on Drink Champs, you know, I think... I probably could have been whatever I could have been, you know, a, I don't know, a, a Diddy or whomever. Um, I chose my family um, and I might not have been the best, you know, father in the world, but I wouldn't change or wouldn't trade uh, the fact that I was present for my kids the way I was um, versus, you know, and other parents that I've recognized and, you know, what compromises they had to make said brother thank you thank you man we appreciate you brother yeah no it's my pleasure thank you for having me on thank you so much all of this (laughs) yeah i'm sure (laughs) later search (laughs) take it easy brother we'll talk soon peace yo be a father if not why bother son a boy can make him but a man can raise one be a father to your child 